Gamet. Andrew, how are you? I'm good. How are you? Yeah, very good. Thanks. Yeah, that's uh, there's something wrong with this picture, right? I appear to be in our studio, and you appear to be in your home studio. Uh, so, uh, so bit bit weird this morning. <laughs> yeah, I uh, we've been talking about the traffic for a couple of weeks, and this time it really hit me. So, uh, yeah, literally, <laughs> literally just last minute kind of panic trying to get home. Um, but yeah, good to be here, and thanks okay. to everyone who's uh, who's who's joined us so far. We just wait a few more minutes. Um, while others, others sort of join in. Yeah, and while we just do that, I mean, how has, uh, how's your week been? Uh, good, yeah, busy. Um, busy, it's Tuesday, but busy so far, which is which is a good thing. What about you? Yeah, it's um, it's uh, it seems insane that we're sitting here in November, I have to be honest. Um, yeah. So, you know, it's, um, I was listening to the business breakfast this morning and they had the guy from uh, Dubai Airports because obviously Dubai Airports has overtaken the world's busiest airport crown again. Um, so they were just talking about the level of uh, passengers kind of flowing through and, and ending up uh, here as well as transiting. So it's just interesting to to kind of hear some of those numbers where they're talking about still, you know, passenger pre-COVID levels around the end of 2024, yeah. 25. Um, but he was saying that some of the huge surges um, that, that have happened over the last two months or so, um, and projecting forward for kind of, you know, some of the big festivals like Eid and, and, and Christmas, um, it, it seems to be kind of on track. So it's quite interesting. It's quite interesting. Yeah, interesting. To... No, you're right. You're right. I think the, um, I think, look, I think part of, part of those forecasts are still based on uncertainty in terms of yeah. uh, when, when the markets are opening up, right? But again, parts of Asia now uh, are seemingly open. Some are kind of tightening up. But I think, you yeah. know, Australia and, and that kind of, you know, well, actually, I thought Australia was open and I found out only parts of Australia are open. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. yeah which I didn't realize. Yeah. So, yeah. Melbourne, I think Melbourne's open, I think, from memory. I think it's one of those. Yeah, correct. Cool. Also, all right, where are we? So, 10 03. Uh, thanks to everyone who's who's tuned in. I have a feeling, Andrew, that our UK, uh, our UK uh, audience are not going to tune in today because we've, the clock's changed. And um, and I only realised the clocks changed as the emails were going out, and I realised at that point that it's now six a.m. in the UK. Um, normally we have uh, we have quite a few people who get up at seven o'clock and uh, tune in uh, to see to see mine and Andrew's pretty faces uh, for some reason, but um, I can't see them getting up six o'clock. If I'm honest with you, I think even that's a bit of a stretch. <laughs> No, no, no. I think that's. I think they might be watching the reruns or listening to the podcast. So, look, thanks, guys, for joining us. Uh, thank you for listening. If you're listening on the podcast, uh, we continue to see those kind of numbers surge, which is fantastic. So, obviously, um, this is our weekly growth show, and and we're kind of digging into uh, data, right, as part of our 2022 series. That's what we're going to be focusing on today, right? Yeah. So, um, so guys, we want to we want to kind of do things a little bit differently. I think I think when when we talk about data. Um, you know, it, data can literally just mean anything now, right? Because our whole kind of world and, and businesses and and all of those things are so centered around sort of data and data collection, and all those things. But but I think what we want to uh, what we want to talk about today is slightly different. Um, you know, very very kind of data focused, of course. That's that's for show today. But um, but I think I think kind of potentially looking at a, you know a slightly different way in terms of kind of business growth and business optimization. 
and how data kind of fits. But I think just before we do that, and I think we've still got a few people that are seemingly jumping in, Andrew, um, anything that's caught your eyes this week in terms of news? Yeah, yeah, I think um, there's a couple of stories that obviously I think everyone's talking about and then perhaps a couple that or one that, that is relatively new. Um, I just thought we might kick off with kind of Meta. Uh, obviously, you know, Facebook have changed their name to to Meta to to represent that kind of metaverse that, that you and I spoke about a few few weeks ago. Um, you know, and I just I just think it, it probably worth a quick discussion around the fact that it's not it's not just a name change, right? Um, as far as a company deciding one morning that they're not so relevant with the word Facebook anymore and they want to change their name, um, it seems as though there's there's a serious amount of thought that's gone in behind it um, and, and how that kind of space is, is changed. Yeah. Um, but I just wonder how how many businesses how businesses are going to basically you know adapt to this change and other agencies and things like that you know is the conversation going to turn into you need to be on meta and instagram and whatsapp and snap sure. the people continue to say the word facebook i mean i you know i just wondered what you thought about it look i think i think you know whenever whenever facebook kind of do anything like this you've always got to kind of read between the lines a little bit I, I like what they've done. I think it's a really smart move. Um, and I think you've rightly said, look, kids, kids don't, um, you know, they, they, love, they love WhatsApp, but they prefer things like Discord, right? Yeah. Um, they, um, you know, they use WhatsApp, I think, just to keep their parents happy, I think, potentially. Yeah. Um, you know, Instagram is obviously a hit, but Facebook, um, my kids wouldn't be seen dead on Facebook, right? To the point when we're, you know, whenever my wife's on Facebook, she gets all kinds of abuse from the kids, you know, we're calling her kind of names like, you're such a Facebook mom and you're this. And it's just like, it's just so uncool. Yeah. Metaverse is cool, right? I mean, you know, yeah. that's, that's, and, and I think the thing is they're, they're obviously innovating and they're spending billions and billions of dollars, uh, you know, innovating new technology, new ways of doing things. Yeah. But if they kind of, if they've alienated, you know, that kind of fast growing young audience, um, whatever they do has limitations. And I think and I think this change now potentially does help them kind of restructure. Okay, Facebook is one of our things, but it's not the thing, right? Yeah. Um, so I, th I, th I think it's a very smart move. Um, you know, the mandate of um, you know ultimately, I think what did he say? He said basically, um, you know, ultimately what we are is a company that just connects people, um, and and you know they are, but they also make billions of dollars. A year in advertising revenue, right? And and I think right. that that part of it's kind of been lost a little bit, but ultimately still drives everything that they do. So, so we'll be interesting to see how that transitions. Yeah, yeah. I think also, I mean, one thing for me is that I always think back to things like Instagram and Snap when they tried to acquire Snap. Um, that, that that social graph that they have because they are connected to billions of people and they can track trends. You know, you've got to believe that they've been tracking this for a while and this is where it's moving. So it's interesting how they jumped in on, on that. Um, I mean, look, speaking of trends, the it's difficult not to talk about, you know, kind of crypto and Bitcoins and all this kind of stuff. And I guess the the other news story that caught my attention was some of these guys that, that have kind of, you know, pulled the rug on people. So there was, uh, you know, obviously initially living under a rock. Uh, you know, the Netflix uh, smash uh, squid games, I still haven't watched yet. Um, but uh, there's a guy that decided to create a coin on the back of it. 
Um, so they kind of created this coin. It surged, you know, 1500% uh, overnight. Um, and they, they kind of closed up shop yesterday. Um, right. So they, they literally just kind of pulled the rug, or that's what it's called apparently, um, got a load of people to invest in the coin. Uh, there was kind of whispers where it was difficult to actually get, you know, real money from the coin. So there was an exchange called Marble that kind of went through and went through process to try and get extract your cash. But it was it was basically a scam. I mean, it's, 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 it's you know, like it's daylight robbery, basically. Um, and I thought it was interesting because on the back of a back of a, uh, a report that came out of the US uh, saying that only 31% of employees are trained against like things like ransomware attacks, viruses, um, you know, and I, and I feel like so, so some people are just way too trusting. Um, and I thought it was relevant for our data conversation and kind of yeah. what we do with data and, and how we look after it and extract it and analyze it. But I don't know. I mean, it, it's what do you think about this? I mean, obviously, you know, it's 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 scandalous. But I mean, what do you think about the wider kind of implications of this? Yeah, look, as there's, there's a lot of people out there who just wish they had a time machine and went back and bought Bitcoin, you know, 10 years ago. Right. And, and I think there's always that whenever you've got any kind of industry or, or kind of trend like that you always want people to jump on that next bandwagon early right and then there's on the other side of that you know there's people who will take advantage of that and i think that's yeah. that's kind of what's happened but the biggest issue here i think is just the fact that all of this is still so unregulated right and yeah and unless you know and, and obviously you've got blockchain which kind of regulates parts of it but the point is is still easy to just create a coin yeah. Um, and at the second, you know, you can show, look, this is up 300% or 400%. People get excited, throw their money into it. So, and the next thing, you know, they've, they've got, you know, five cents back on a dollar, right? And that's it. Yeah. Um, yeah. But but that's that's the biggest challenge. And I think there's, there's you know, yeah, human, look, and I think this is very, very relevant data. I think you're right. But when you are dealing with human behavior and, and our kind of sense of, and need to kind of, you know, do things, right? um you know to to not miss out you know FOMO so big now right it's, yeah, it's, yeah. it's this is this is where it all kind of comes into play and, and people get hurt on the back of it so exactly. yeah, i think i think the regulation piece is key though yeah they were saying i mean the, i think i'd shared in notes the mashable uh story that i pulled through they said what was kind of almost um almost misleading in this is the amount of you know news outlets that jumped on this so it was kind of like they CNN reported it, Forbes reported it, you know, and and kind of elevated it, you know, in in that space. And as you said, it's unregulated. It's it's people just see a spike and then they and then they go for it, right? Um, you know, from from there. So I think, um, yeah, yeah, cool, um, cool. Look, I think we've um, I think we've kind of given people enough time to to jump on. We've got quite a nice uh, audience going on here, guys. So should we should we jump into our uh, topic of the day, as it were, mate? Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, guys, just just very quickly, um, this is kind of a live and interactive show. I know we've got some new faces on here today as well. New faces we can't see, new names, I think I should say. Um, so, uh, by all means, use the Q&A or the chat function if you want to communicate with us, if you've got any questions about what we talk about. Um, and, but, yeah, Andrew, I think I think let's, let's you know, when it, when it comes to data, it's interesting, right? We're having so many conversations now with clients 
who are very kind of growth focused for 2022, which is great yeah. because this time last year, it was very much survival mode, right? right. And, and, and people were very much like, okay, guys, I need to kind of get through next year. I need to just, you know, build a more kind of sustainable model. I need to be more efficient. I need to be more economical. Uh, budgets have been cut and blah, blah, blah. Um, we're seeing a slightly different degree of optimism um, heading into next year, which is which is great. I think people are kind of excited about, you know, the pandemic potentially easing, um, the uh, travel restrictions easing as well, um, and and you know just just that kind of whole global movement of people, which I think was so such a well at a peak right just before COVID. Um, you know, I think I think it just kind of I don't know invigorates people, right? The fact that they don't feel as if they're locked down now, they can escape and all of those things. So, so there's definitely some sort of positive optimism, uh, which I think is kind of driving this shift. And 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 I look, I mean, obviously we're based in the UAE, um, and we see how busy it is over here, right? There's traffic. I couldn't get into the office today, for example, uh, to come and sit next to you to do this because of traffic. And and I think it's, I think it's just um, it's it's fascinating, but. I guess when we're talking to people right now, data is really kind of front and center in terms of all of the conversations we're having, right? And um, and and I guess I guess one of the things that I think we want to move on from is things like data collection because I guess it's you know when, like, I, actually let me throw it back at you. So in terms of you know the conversations you're having around data, are we still talking about things like? guys, you should be collecting data or have we kind of now transitioned into, okay, we've got the data. This is what you do with it. And by the way, this is the other data that matters. What, what, what kind of conversations do you have? Yeah, I, I think I think really what is important is we should move past the data collection piece. Um, so there's still obviously organizations that, that perhaps still don't, let's say not value data, but don't understand what to do with it. Um, so, so I think they've been told that they need to collect data and, and, you know, by that we mean your name, your email, your mobile, start to build out a bit more preference on, on that. So they know that they know that it's important to, to, to kind of collect that data. Um, but they don't necessarily know where, uh, what to do with it. Right. Um, so I think the thing is that, you know, conversations that perhaps we were having two years ago where it's like, listen, you need a form to capture uh, an inquiry. You need, you know, uh, you need somebody to take down information and put it in a CRM if somebody calls your office, right? We need a live chat functionality. And I think increasingly with, you know, WhatsApp, um, we've totally spoken about this and the disruption that that's causing, um, you know, people realize that, that they can't just have a WhatsApp conversation. They've got an email address they should capture on there. They've got a mobile. So I think, yeah, I'd say that the conversations you know, a definitely almost um, a, a shift in the space now where it's like, okay, cool, I've got it. Um, but but what else? What other data is there, right? Yeah. Um, and, and I think, you know, that, that, that also goes to the fact that, you know, there is other data that can be collected. So I think we've, you know, we've done that kind of stage one or stage two where we know that I need an email and, a, a, and that, but what, what, what other data uh, should I be looking at um, you know, and, and what what should I be doing with it, right? Yeah, no, no, precisely right. And I think I think the um, you know, and, and the shift I'm seeing is exactly that, where people are now saying, okay, cool, right? We've we've basically you know we've done this because GDPR I think caused the shift uh, where people suddenly realised they had to you know clean out their data, um, and and you know they had to kind of rethink their data collection strategies. 
but actually the conversations we're having right now, I think are very different. And, and, and those conversations um, are very much centered around growth, right? So people are saying, yeah. right, I need, need to grow, grow my business. Yeah. Uh, I've got all of these tools and assets and all of these things. I've got the software, I've got databases, I've got all of that kind of stuff. How can I use that? And, and, and I think we can basically have a bit of a discussion on that today because I, I was trying to, I think prior to the show, I was just trying to kind of put some sort of structure together in terms of how, you know, in which order we, we kind of discuss this. Because I think when we talk about growth, we, we break this down, right? And, and the, there's still a lot of people, you know, maybe think, right, in order to grow my business, I need to, uh, I need to get more leads, right? Or I need to drive more traffic to my website, or I need to do this, or I need to do that. I think that when we talk about growth, we kind of look at it and say, well, okay, look, you do need to maybe increase the number of leads, but actually are your sales processes where they need to be, right? Are you converting enough of these leads? Um, but then also from a marketing perspective, what more can you do to nurture those leads? And then actually, if you really want to grow your business and you want to do it in a most efficient way, well, how do you retain clients and get them to spend more money with you? Right. So are your customer service levels exactly where they need to be? Are they optimized? You know, so so when we look at it, we always talk about, say, look, the marketing piece, which obviously drives sales, the sales piece, which is then obviously converting those marketing leads. And then actually when you win the business and that business becomes and that prospect becomes a customer, how well do you look after them? Right. How how good a job do you do? you know, in terms of what you promised. And, and I think people have been quite receptive to kind of understanding that in a bit more detail. But I guess what I wanted to ask you is where do we start? Because I kind of, it felt a little chicken and eggy to me this morning when, when, when you know, I was kind of thinking about this. You know, it's, is, it, is it, you know, sales data that we need to look at first and then, and then maybe optimize your marketing or is it marketing data that you do and then optimize your sales? I mean, what, you know, just obviously in a general scheme of things, what's your what's your kind of thought there? Yeah, look, I, I feel very much um, you know in line with with you as far as chicken and egg, right? Um, I think if we if we you know ultimately this is that battle, and I've got a few clients at the moment that that are still having that battle, right? Where I sat with someone this week and they they said, well, that's not mine, that's that's sales responsibility. Um, so that still very much is out there. Um, what I would say is that I'd almost say that we need to look at them together um, to, to to really understand it. So yeah. you know, I don't I don't think it I don't think it matters. Um, I don't think it matters which one we tackle first. But I don't think we can make any decisions um, unless we've looked at both sets of data, right? Um, you know, and then and only then then you can start to kind of form some strategies around it. Um, you know, and, 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 and kind of, you know, understand that, uh, that a bit more. Um, and, and I think, you know, that, that's, that's the best approach, right? Um, because I think, you know, the challenge is if you say, well, okay, um, and, and, we, and we hear a lot, right? So, so usually, I'll tell you how the conversation usually goes uh, that, that we kind of witness. Uh, I need more sales. Okay, cool. Um, yeah, I'm not getting enough sales, not getting enough decent leads. You know, uh, I need to throw more, more more money at marketing, or we need to try different uh, avenues. We need to try this. We need to try that. Try that. Yeah. Cool. Have you looked at any other kind of sales, you know, data? What do you mean? 
um, well, you know, have you sat down? How are you tracking this? How are you tracking conversations? You know, are you speaking to the right individuals? Are you looking at your customer profile? You know, are you doing any of this? No, no, no. But we need more leads. Um, so we need to, you know, look at look at getting some more leads in, right? So that's that's kind of why I've, that's what I feel. Yeah. So basically, you're saying that both are important. It should be shouldn't be sales. It feels a bit of a cop out to be honest, mate. I was like kind of hoping it would be one way or another. Excellent. Something to be. Um, That's fine. You are you are right. You go you go you go one you go one way then, and I'll, and I'll argue I'll argue against you. How about that? Yeah. No, but I mean the thing the thing is is I think I've, you know, I'm giving you I'm giving you kind of um, unwarranted stick there, but I think what the um, the reality is 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 obviously look, sales and marketing do have to be perfectly aligned. Very, it's very a very rare scenario where that happens. Um, and I, I spoke to I spoke to a client today. Uh, sorry, two days ago. And um, and they've had a title change, job title change, and 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 basically they were they were now kind of in charge of growth for a huge um, huge organisation, and um, and it was music to my ears. So I was like, right, okay, cool, you've got this new title now. Tell me where you sit. And and they were like, look, marketing and sales now both report into me, and that means that I've got to make sure that things are perfectly aligned. And I was like, I was like, Do you know what's brilliant because. We're yeah. just not having enough of those conversations where you've got, you know, heads of marketing and the heads of sales and they just clash, right? And it just, and I think they, people have got to get around that. And I think they've got to bypass that. They've got to find a way. They've got to restructure. Yeah. But ultimately, especially in this kind of massive digital world that we live in now, uh, you, I don't think you can't get away with it. I think you could previously, pre-COVID, I think you could. In yeah. this world, I don't think you can. No. Um, but but I, I, I'm, I'm going to go, I'm, I'm, I agree with you, but I think we should, I, I feel as if there's one direction that potentially might make a bit more sense just in terms of insights. And, and, and for me, I think for where we should potentially start is sales. Yeah. And, and, a re- and a reason for that is CEOs kind of understand sales and a few CEOs really understand marketing and digital marketing and stuff like that, right? Uh, but sales they understand, right? Because that's the first number they see in terms of revenues, in terms of targets, in terms of how that impacts margins and profitability in those elements. And so, so if we if we start from that perspective, just because I think, you know, a lot of our audience are perhaps marketers, um, you know, I feel as if that might might kind of be more helpful. So so the way I kind of look at it is is if someone has got real kind of growth aspirations for 2022, what is it that, or what is the data, what are the insights that we can get from sales that can kind of help understand that, right? Um, and, and, and I think a lot of that stems from, I think, salespeople really being, being the guys on the ground, right? They can understand the market. They can understand sentiment. They can understand, um, you know, even, even the change in buyer journeys that may have happened over the last 18 months. And I think these guys are better positioned to do that than, than marketers, perhaps. Uh, I think we're certainly better positioned to do that than, than some of maybe the senior leaders within an organization. Because... These guys are at the forefront of activity, right? They're the ones having active conversations and can get a real grasp. I think everyone else is very reliant on non-real-time data, right? Sales is very real-time. Everyone else is, okay, let's look at our performance over the last month. Let's look at our performance over the last quarter. How do we then, you know, waste a few weeks and then implement that for the next quarter? Whereas sales just have to adapt because they've, they've got to close deals, right? This is, this is what they do. Um, so what, what kind of sales data, Andrew, do you think is, is the kind of data which 
we collect, people should be collecting. I think it just as almost uh, irrespective of almost business, you know, what business you're in um, or what industry and what, what kind of sales data should they be collecting and where should that data go? Just yeah, a small question. Thing. Sorry? Just a small question. Yeah, yeah, it's good. Um, just to give you guys a bit of an insight of our activity, um, instead of organizing through show notes today, um, Amit suggested, let's just have a free-flowing conversation um, with no reference notes. So I can see why you did that now. Appreciate it. Thank <laughs> you. And I almost feel like you can only get away with this because you're not here. <laughs> so it's easier to do over. Now look, um, safety of my own home. Exactly, it's like your own home. So look, I, I think the thing is that um, it, it, it has to start, the, the, the data um, the data kind of, uh, the, the data intelligence piece and the data capture piece has to start at the very beginning. Um, so right at the beginning of the conversation, obviously if we've seen that handoff, however that handoff looks, um, obviously if, if you know we're fortunate enough to have some element of technology like a HubSpot in place that gives, gives us a bit more intelligence around the prospect. Um, so some of that marketing data, if they visited a site, if they've opened an email, they watched a video, etc. I think at that point, obviously, what we should be doing is we should be looking at that uh, that data first. So, so understanding, um, you know, how how educated is the prospect, right? So, I guess you know, right at the very beginning, trying to understand is this somebody that that essentially I have to have a you know different type of conversation with, right? Because it pretty much is straightforward. You either know the products and service and the company, or you don't, or you might know a little bit about it. Um, so, I think that that you know, if you have that. Uh, ability to 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 look at that that obviously is is the first kind of set of data that I think is important to to evaluate okay um, you know and understand I think then the second set of data to 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 start to look into is the amount of data that that as you know a sales professional you can gather yourself okay so I think that you know you're going to be gifted some data. Um, you know, to to you um, through through that marketing campaign, perhaps it's some drop downs in the form, and you know, it's kind of a qualification process. But obviously, at that point, you know, any any sales professional worth uh, is is going to go and find their own set of data. So that that may be, uh, or sorry, should be against their kind of you know ideal customer profile. So should look to understand, uh, you know, the basic stuff that we all know, your company size, you, you kind of, you speaking to the right person. Usually we like to lean into, um, you know, the, the, the kind of band C as far as, you know, budget authority need and time once you start to talk to them. But, but that pre kind of uh, data collection then sets you up um, to ultimately, you know, deliver further results down down the pipeline. So the reason that you look to capture this data and capture it in a in in a regularized format, um, so you know we can use that data down the road, as you said. You know, there's there's more of an understanding from a C-suite or a level of ownership that understands sales. So if we can start to capture that data and understand, you know, pre-conversation, uh, what, uh, yeah. Sorry. And I say no pre kind no, I think that's a nice way of putting it. So in preparation for your actual sales engagement. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. Fine. So if you can capture that data, yeah. um, you know, that that can ultimately, you know, help future. So so you know, look, if we if we fast forward and I'll come back, but if we fast forward to the point of close and we've had a great uh, you know, great engagement with an individual and now becoming a customer, and then we fast forward that again and we've got a hundred of those. 
Um, it's far more valuable to understand, you know, what did they look like before you even spoke to them, right? Those set of 100 companies that you won and what did the, you know, 20 companies that you, you know, or sorry, eight, 500 companies that you lost, what does that look like, right? Okay. Um, you know, what what was different? So, so, you know, you can start to pull in that. So pre-conversation data, I think is important. And then obviously, you know, once you engage with a particular prospect, you know, you're, you're trying to, you're trying to capture more data at that point um, to evaluate the, the, the client and ultimately try to work out what, what you need to, what you need to be offering them. I think in, in the business development and sales world, this is probably the, 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 the piece that gets dropped the most. Yeah. Okay. So I think that work does go into pre-call. I think actual call is where, you know, there's a tendency for sales teams to relax on their data, uh, data kind of acquisition, right? So it, 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 and that may be a level of excitement associated to speaking to a prospect, you know, looks sure. decent. Um, you, you're already thinking about what you're going to be offering to them. But again, I think that at that point, you need to be, if you do have a set of series of questions that you, um, that you're, ultimately need answered that data should be captured again um, and put through to you know kind of ideal client profile right yeah. um, because again this data can be can be captured so you know I think a lot of salespeople will write phenomenal notes um, you know pre or actual call yeah. but I can't do anything with notes yeah um, I, in, in in the grand scale of things. You know, sure. if, if I've got a drop down from of, a data perspective, from a data perspective, yeah, right. pure data okay. perspective, right? So, so I can't, you know, we had an organization that pre call, you know, was capturing phenomenal information, right? Uh, but it was just lost. It sat yeah. on Google Calendar, it didn't go anywhere. We weren't able to use that data further down the line to help them, you know, kind of understand their sales process, their client acquisition process um, a, bit, a bit more, right? Um, so, Again, capturing that data on that kind of pre-call and call, I'd say that those are the first two crucial steps, right? Cool. So let's 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 talk practically then. So I think I think when you're talking about the um, actual engagement, right? So you're now talking to somebody physically, or whether it's on a call. Um, a simple way of collecting some of this data is maybe using a CRM that has the capability of uh, providing playbooks, right? where you've got a set of kind of questions, potential answers, and then based on whatever those answers are, you can then use that to then analyze that prospect and data and all of that stuff afterwards, right? So, so that's the kind of way of, you know, just actual physical, you know, it's like digital playbooks, I think is, is a really kind of good solution. There's, there's something else I want to kind of bring there, because I, I, I totally agree with you. It's, it's that initial engagement stage where a lot of data is lost um, and it's often shared, right? So it's, the prospect is telling you what they want, they're asking questions and those questions are very kind of relevant to whether you move to the next stage with that prospect or not, right? So ultimately, if you give them the right answers, you've got a better chance of, of um, you know, maybe being shortlisted and may move to the next stage. Well, what I've found, and, and I think we found as an organization is nobody seems to be collecting data on what those questions are, okay? So, you know, you're having a sales conversation with someone for the first time, they're interested in your product and ser or service at a very high level, but what questions are they asking you? You know, what is it that, oh, what is it that they perhaps didn't find on your website that they feel as if they need to ask you personally, right? Is there content that then can be, you know, shared, is that, or, or 
well, I guess the way of doing it is, can these questions be collated, maybe worked out in terms of how often they get asked and then shared with marketing to say, look, you guys actually aren't helping us here. If this information existed on our website, if it was a blog article, if it was a little ebook, um, what that would do is potentially fast track us onto the next stage rather than someone feeling as if they had to ask us because they couldn't find that information online. And it could be a video, right? That just tackles it. So that if someone goes on a, you know, a company FAQ section, perhaps it's just a bunch of video answers for all of those different questions, right? Just ways, there's ways of sort of doing that. But I feel that's where we first start to now get into that world of, okay, sales data being relevant for marketing, right? Because there's a lot of marketing teams that we kind of speak to and we're like, you know, what is your kind of day-to-day job? Oh, we run campaigns and we do this. Cool. How much time do you spend away of sales? Uh, well, we have a once a month meeting. Mm. Okay. How much information are sales giving you so that you can help them sell better? And that's when it always goes quiet, right? And I think yeah. the um, and I think this is that piece, right? Just small things. I mean, we're not asking anything too complex here. Is if you get asked questions frequently, share those questions. Um, and and I think that's an important piece. But just just I think if we move on to the next step, right? So we've had the sales interaction now, and on the back of that sales call, someone said, right, send us a proposal. What, what, what data is, I think, relevant at that point? Or how do you start to kind of track track this and make sense of it? Yeah, I think, obviously, at that point, um, the it's obviously looking at... It, it, look, it's, it's looking at tools to allow you, again, to evaluate the interest post-meeting. So I think, obviously, you know, the post-meeting uh, kind of process is, is crucial to, you know, delivery of success, effectively. So... It is looking at things like, you know, simple follow-up emails just on the back of that. It could be potentially a video. Um, again, if we're doing videos, we can capture data on the back of that. So are people opening emails? Is your prospect watching a video, et cetera? Um, I think that the, the, the data that we've collected should form part of the um, delivered result. So I think that again has to marry if you've if you've managed to capture data and and you know that data doesn't present itself uh, in the offering that's a bit of a challenge as well right so I think that personalization piece around uh, you know showing that you've listened showing that uh, showing that you, you you kind of understand what the requirement is um, I think that's obviously you know very important from that and then obviously you know back to the basics of tracking how long that that you know prospect effectively lives in that pipeline so having processes in place you know based on okay if it's a proposal is next step if it's a discovery call if it's uh you know like a like a run through whatever that case may be i think just making sure that you track that progress so whatever you you plan to do next uh that progress is tracked so so you can understand again how long these things take so, you know, depending on your industry, you'll talk to any salesperson. It's like, well, what's your average sales cycle? Oh, you know, it can be anywhere from two days to two years. And then when you start to dig into, you know, no, actually kind of asking questions. No, I need to understand, you know, is it two months? Is it 45 days? Um, it's, it's relatively straightforward just to capture that data, right? So, so you kind of remove the opinion uh, from, from an individual and start to look at the data of how long something sits within your within your within your funnel obviously yeah. so then i think it's about tracking number of touches 
uh, tracking number of you know uh, iterations. So if you're changing proposals, if you're customizing the offering, um, it's about tracking that data. So again, you can see, you know, is there something that's missing at a proposal stage, for example? You know, like uh, the question, if we get a regular, like you said, a regular question back, well, what about this? What about this? What about this? You know, instead of answering that question every time in a revised proposal, we need to make sure that we're answering that question at that first point. Um, yeah. So I think we can use that data to essentially start to improve sales collaterals um, and sales process. Um, as far as kind of dragging that down and then moving that down the down the funnel. Um, so I think that's that's the data that we need to be capturing at that point. And then ultimately the engagement of the particular prospect. So tracking their interest, um, you know, on, 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 the, on the back of that and email opens, video views, et cetera. Yeah, I think I think one of the important things also to track at that stage is actually disqualification. Yeah. Right. So, mm -hmm. so actually, that person that you've spoken to, should you have spoken to them? Yeah. Were they were they a qualified enough prospect, or have you just wasted the last hour speaking to someone that you really shouldn't have spoken to, who aren't ready, who are too maybe too high up in a funnel? Um, and I think that again is again relevant information that gets passed back to marketing to say, look, these are the people I want to speak to who've shown some level of interest, have shown some level of understanding in terms of what they want to purchase. Um, if you feed me these people, I can kind of close business. Um, if you feed me people up there, then all I'm doing is educating. Right? And there's a, a very fine line between uh, getting that right and wrong. But when you get it right, it's incredibly efficient. And when you get it wrong, it's it's a massive waste of time and and obviously inefficient. So, so I think you know being able to disqualify, uh, sending that information back to marketing, perhaps, uh, or to you know whoever your sales qualification person is, and saying we need to change the boundaries. We need to move these boundaries so that I speak to the people I need to speak to, right? Yeah, I, I think I think there's two words that would, would sum up that in, in a sales perspective is kind of pressure and confidence. Mm -hmm. um, and I'd say the, the pressure of um, numbers, so pressure of sending out proposals or pressure of number of meetings um, sometimes clouds that disqualification piece um so i think yeah. that you know especially when we look at the you know companies that we have conversations with there is a, there's there's still there's organizations that are not using data to track um you know uh, effectiveness or or you know of, of a sales force so there's still the old mentality as much as uh, sales is definitely a numbers game still right numbers in numbers out um yeah. It's not, I think, the the old school, I need 100 calls today or I need this or I need that. I think, obviously, um, you know, that that again. So I'd say the, 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 the pressure piece, but also the confidence piece. So the confidence piece to, to, you know, jump off a call or walk away from a meeting and even, you know, in that meeting, um, you know, raise the fact that, listen, this isn't going to go anywhere. Um, you know this, uh, so I'm not going to. I'm not going to. You know, continue the the, the kind of conversation um, in in obviously a polite way, um, or or I'm not going to. You know, as you said, you know, spend time, effort, energy uh, to 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 kind of create a solution for for someone or an organisation that, quite frankly, would never never become a client. Um, no, so, I think that's. I think that's yeah, I think, yeah. Yeah, you're right. You're right. You're right. It's it's precisely that. And I think the the challenges. And I think I think we've again, COVID may have helped because 
I think there's definitely been a shift in, in thinking and stuff like that, right? When people, salespeople, you know, yeah. we know, we know so many organizations where, um, where they have the sales guys in suited and booted at eight 30 every morning, you know, 15 minute team meeting, and then that's it, go and have meetings. Um, yeah. and I think obviously that was forced to change. And I think on the back of that, there has been a shift in mentality. I don't know if it's gone, gone full, you know, full circle or not, or it's kind of, you know, gone to where it's needed to go at least. But the challenge is, um, the challenge I still think is education, you know, because, because I think, you know, there is that definite mentality of, okay, well, I've only had 10 meetings this week, you know, which means I'm only going to close two deals. Whereas yeah. I think the way that we typically try and challenge our clients on is actually, well, what if you only had five and closed two deals? Yeah. Right? How many hours have you saved there that could have helped you better prospect um, you know, improve your sales processes, improve your sales collateral, improve your sales approach. But actually, forget about all of that. gives you the uh, gives you the time and energy to actually focus on those prospects, which actually are likely to close. Right? Why waste, you know, your time on eight prospects that aren't going to close? You know, and I think I think what it is is again the data that isn't perhaps being collected. Um, are, you know, across sales teams, you know, they they get things like conversion rates. But how are those conversion rates determined, right? Is it yeah. based on number of leads that are given to them? Is it based on number of qualified leads given to them? Is it the base? You know, does it take into account ones that they've disqualified? Does it take into account the ones which are perhaps too far up the funnel, which are going to take maybe five times as much sales work as someone who's slightly further down? You know, these, mm. these are the things where we need to kind of transition or, or businesses need to sort of transition their thinking. Because if they get that right, then actually sales teams become more efficient. But again, it's all data data driven, right? And you've got to know what data is the right data, you know? So so I think that's, that's, cool. that's important as well. I think we just, just in the interest of time, Andrew, I think the only other thing, um, and then you kind of touched on it earlier, but proposal data, I think, is, is a kind of really kind of fascinating area. Um, because again, it's, it's data that typically gets overlooked. Um, and, and part of that is because a lot of this technology that's out there is new. But I mean, how interesting, bless you, how interesting or how fascinating would it be for a business to understand how many times their proposals get opened by people that eventually become customers? Um, what pages of a proposal do they look at specifically? How much time is spent on those specific pages? And, and then based on that information, the data that you get, and how do you make your proposals better? Right, and I think that's that kind of information and data is, is very obtainable today. But again, there's very few companies I've spoken to who are actually looking and analysing this because, you know, and I think we've seen it. Right, we've we, we've got some proposals which are forty or fifty pages, and people would go on the the first two or three pages, skip to the pricing page, and then make a decision. Right, and. Um, and, you know, but we wouldn't have known that unless we were tracking it and really kind of understanding. We think they're great proposals, but actually, our, you know, our prospects don't really care for it too much because it's two hours of reading or whatever. But, uh, but again, yeah. it's data that, that kind of gives you that information. Yeah, they've, um, I, I think also just document tracking on the whole. So even something yeah. that's like a PDF, uh, you know, showing a, a company profile, um, you know, showcasing some work that you've done previously, case studies, testimonials, all of these things from a document tracking perspective can help to, you know, evaluate that prospect. I think the, I think, you know, what, what 
where the data piece is so crucial to to the kind of sales environment is it, it removes um, it removes a gut feel. Okay, so you know everyone in sales has a kind of gut feel about this person had a good meeting, it was strong, or it wasn't great, it wasn't the right fit, or whatever. Um, but obviously, data helps you, you know, kind of kind of pull that in. I mean, interestingly, if we look at marketing data previously, it, that marketing data is different because you know marketing data basically showed that there were certain things that were not working, right? Because you just got away with it. Um, you know, I mean, I was talking to somebody yesterday, another agency owner, and they were talking about the, the glory days of TV advertising, you know, relatively little work, ludicrous amounts of money, no tracking, right, versus the amount of work that goes into just a YouTube campaign now, right? and what and what comes on the back of it. So it's interesting how, you know, to a certain extent, marketing data has, you know, well, to a, to a large extent, marketing data has helped form, you know, how how marketeers market. But the the most important piece of data from sales is usually the one that's missing from their data set, as you said. Um, so yeah, so I think um, yeah, that's that's important. Uh, the, the the document tracking piece, all the way down to contracting. Yeah. So I mean, you know, moving past proposal, moving into agreements and contracts. Um, you know, the the digitization of contracts obviously is a relatively new thing in this part of the world, and has kind of been born of COVID. Um, but there's no kind of you know getting away from that now. We can we can track you know confidently. If only if somebody only has to click a button and sign a document versus oh I need to print it I need to give it to my boss I need yeah. to do this I need to do that that's difficult because that can that that's difficult to track um, but obviously again from a data perspective if we're sending out contracts and we're not getting any any anything back uh, you know within a week or two weeks or a month you know are, are the contracts too complex so the you know what what's missing is there things that are missing you know. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I think I think one one last piece on the sales side of it is actually um, again data, which very few companies are collecting. Um, but I think it's probably some of the most important data uh, that you can obtain if you if you can find a way of doing it. Um, and that's it's something that we've implemented, and actually it's, it's driven so much change internally, which I uh, which I don't think would have been possible had we not done this. And so one of the things that we do is. Um, is if we don't win a deal, okay, for whatever reason. So we have, you know, many kind of, you know, sales conversations and interactions, proposals go out, gets to a certain stage, but for whatever reason, uh, we, we've not been successful. We send out an immediate survey asking why, right? And it's something that gets tracked in our CRM. Um, and we want to understand, we want to understand, like, and we want to ask tough questions, right? Um, so we want to ask things like, look, did we understand your needs? You know, if we didn't, Tell us why. Um, was the quality of proposal, uh, you know, in line with your expectations? You know, did we let you down in that respect? Um, was the salesperson you're dealing with a bad fit for you? Right. Um, you know, and asking those types of questions um, is is interesting because the data you get back is really powerful, right? Because these are people telling you why they've not chosen you and have chosen someone else. Um, I think what it also has allowed us to do is understand what percentage of deals we potentially lose because of, say, fees or whatever, things like that. But we've definitely seen areas where actually we needed to improve. 
Um, and, and on the back of that, we've been gone back to marketing with real business sales data, right? But we've gone back to marketing and said, by the way, if you help us with this, this and this, we eliminate that problem. Yeah. Right. And, and I think that's, that's such a key thing. And I think um, we'll talk about retention and stuff like that in a second. But I mean, the point is, is this is, this is data that sometimes people don't want to know. I'm sure our sales guys were nervous for as soon as we launched this because now potentially someone could say, look, they did a really shit job on this. Right. But, um, you know, but again, at least, at least we do that. And the fact I feel as if we're asking these surveys and sending them out also influences behavior internally, right? The sales team know this is going out and therefore, you know, they need to basically do the best they can, right? In the right way. So I think that that's just one one that's kind of overlooked a little bit, but I think it's really valuable for for kind of sales driven organizations. Um Oh, we've got 10 minutes, Andrew. I'm gonna, I'm, if, I, if I just touch on something I found out this week, we've not had a chance to speak about it. Um, I, I looked at um, some data from a, from a marketing perspective, and I wanted to understand the behavior of prospects that we have recently closed as customers. And it was both mind-blowing and fascinating. So um, I picked about five or six random clients on there and found that the average prospect who becomes a customer visits our website anywhere between 12 and 20 times and views anywhere between 40 and 60 pages of our website, which I just felt was really interesting. Um, and they do this in a very concentrated period of time. So if you imagine over the period of say three or four weeks when, when people are kind of finalizing, shortlisting, making those decisions, they're that active on our website. And it got me thinking in terms of, okay, how, how can that data be used, right? What can we do to now say, okay, if this is happening and if we know that our prospects are spending this much time on our website, coming back this many times, what can we do to take advantage of this? And, and I just thought I'd kind of throw it out there. I'm not expecting like a solution, but, but I just felt it was super interesting, right? Just when you start to analyze um, individual behavior um, from people that are actually signing contracts with you. Yeah, I think, um, I think what's interesting on that is the volume. Um, so that, that, kind of, um, that kind of falls back to um, numbers that Marcus Sheridan used to share. Um, as far as visits and stuff, I, I think it would be interesting to dig into a bit more as far as, you know, what is what is the, the, the data that they're engaging with? Um, so as you said, it, it happens in a focused environment. Is it that they are going back and checking our case studies? Are they going back in and checking blogs? Are they reading, um, you know, our client uh, portfolios that we look after trying to find people in the same industry or possibly a related industry that they feel has worked with them um so i think it'd be interesting to dig into to understand what they're looking at um yeah. I, I think i think the re you know one of the reasons is that we do we do have answers right um you know on on our site i think that's that's uh there's been that element of consistency that our clients know us right um interestingly enough it was only because the majority of our, as we know, and we've shared before, majority of our inquiries are either inbound led or, or referrals. 
Um, so I think obviously at that point, the only time we saw a different type of prospect, uh, I know we're talking about clients, but a different type of prospects when we looked at some social advertising, you know, real top of funnel and, and obviously there was no understanding of who Nexa was at that point. So I think, yeah, those stats, I'm, I'm quite surprised the number of visits uh, back and pages viewed. Um, I think that's that's that would that's far higher than I thought it would be. To be honest with you, I guess now it'll be interesting to map that to, you know, people that have a similar pattern, but we've lost them. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And, and I think I, I think well. yeah. And actually, it's been it's been it's been a while since I kind of looked at this data, um, and and what we saw for sure was that the number of site visits and the number of pages views were much higher than what they were previously. And mm. I think I think the other side of it is because we always, you know, we have we have clients who say, look, actually I only need I only need seven or eight pages on my website. Right. And yeah. um, you know, because that's who we are, we've got a really really kind of simple business. Um, what I did see when I looked into those those uh, sample numbers uh, was that actually these guys have been on so many different pages on our website. Now we've got, you know, I don't know maybe 700 articles on our website that we've written and hosted, um, you know, plus obviously a whole load of other pages. But I think the point is, is if they can find that information on your website, uh, I think it just gives that kind of trust and confidence and, and, uh, and that level of comfort where they do it. And I think, I think there's a big argument, you know, to use information like this to say, okay, right, what does, how does that impact our, you know, this is data, it's, it's very relevant. How does that impact our content strategy? Do we even have a content strategy? You know, and, and do we need to put one in place? Because, you know, it's, I don't know, I've just, but there's, definitely, there's definitely something in that. Yeah, there's, um, I, I think that, you know, we've, uh, we've been talking about this for, for, for many years. Um, the, 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 it goes back to Zemot, right? So even if you've had a great conversation, you've had a great meeting, you've provided proposals, people still want to do their own research. Yeah. And I think the thing that's interesting in our case is because there's such a huge effort to be visible within Google, quite frankly, and I've had it, I've had it from clients and, and prospects, when they're researching, we're just coming up the whole time. <laughs> so, yeah. so it's like, you know, I tried looking at this, I tried looking at that, you were everywhere. So I think that also plays on the fact that, you know, when even when they're even when they've met you and it's a good conversation, they still want to do their research and find out what yeah. else is out there, it's difficult to escape Nexa. Right, <laughs> yeah. no, true. Okay, cool. So look, I think Andrew, let's move on to the last part of this. We've got five minutes. And I think the, you know, it's it's definitely worth more than five minutes of conversation. But um, again, when people are talking about growth, one of the areas that we, we always almost see as overlooked is, is client retention. And, and then obviously not for every company, there's a lot of companies that have got really, really kind of interesting, um, you know, methodologies that are tried and tested where they, you know, where they really can, uh, you know, retain clients from one year to the next. Um, but again, some very kind of simple things is, is just kind of understanding and getting a gauge on, on how happy your clients are, right? I mean, that's one of the most kind of simplest things that a business can do. Um, and, and, and there's a number of ways of doing it. But, but ultimately, if you know where you stand in terms of clients, then you've got an idea in terms of, you know, whether you need to improve it, whether you need to refine it, whether you need to you know, increase communication, whatever it is, right? But again, it's data that helps you to look after your clients. And then rather than, 
you know, kind of getting your marketing and sales machines active to replace clients that keep churning or going, you start to retain more clients, your marketing and sales kind of starts to play, you get more referrals because you've got more happier clients. And then that's where you get really kind of super fast accelerated growth, right? Um, and, and, you know, and this is just obvious, but again, it's just overlooked. So just some of the kind of surveys, Andrew, what's, what, what would you recommend for people, you know, in terms of what kind of data they should collect on that customer service level? And, and then also once they collect it, what should they be doing with that data? Yeah, um, I, I, I think obviously, I mean, what we implore and, and what we kind of push out there to the market is a, is a NPS, um, you know, just to just to make sure that there's that controlled. Um, I mean, look, the biggest driver of of you know the the customer satisfaction is how likely they are to refer you to somebody else, right? Simple as that. Um, you know, and I think that goes a long way to talk about customer satisfaction. So even for example, if you know the account um, moves up and down. Um, if they're still happy to to refer you into their peers or or other industries or whatever the case may be, um, friends, colleagues, families, um, you know, there's, there's there's that needs to be tracked and monitored. Um, I think obviously from the MPS perspective, that's something depending on your sales cycle and your, as you mentioned there, your client relationship. If it is that long-term burn, is it once every quarter? Is it once uh, every six months, once a year, just to kind of check into, to make sure that there's still uh, there's still a valid relationship in place and, and the potential. So, and then, uh, you know, ultimately whatever gets fed back in, much like the the survey that goes out for customers that perhaps don't want to work with you you know the ones that are working with you if they raise a flag you obviously need to kind of jump on that and and kind of understand a bit more at a granular level um you know what what what's coming back and then look ultimately that data can be used to determine account management in that respect so yeah. if you see a pattern um you know of either uh, positive, uh, obviously, sentiment. Uh, you can reward that accordingly. If there's negative sentiment, you can use that to to kind of manage your internal resources as well, right? Um, and I think that data is important to share as well. We've seen it in organisations where you know teams are honestly delusional um, to to the point where they they believe that their their you know their client engagement uh, is successful and and it's way off mark. Um, so I think that again is data that needs to be shared with the teams, uh, you know, at at kind of discretionary uh, yeah. Uh, things. Yeah. Yeah. No, I agree. I agree. I think the, I think that escalation policy with whatever whatever feedback you're getting is is absolutely key to drive that kind of behaviour. Um, and 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 so yeah, what you do with that data is absolutely kind of fundamental to what happens next. Cool, um, Andrew, we're at eleven, so um, I think we need to wrap up. But uh, guys, thank you very much for tuning in again this week. Uh, we may uh, look at this. I guess this is for our kind of podcast listeners, guys out in the UK who haven't got up at six a.m. this morning. Andrew. <laughs> Uh, we may have to look at revising the time slightly just to make it a little bit uh, more accessible, but uh, we'll keep you posted. But thanks for tuning in. Uh, we've had a few sort of comments and stuff, so we'll, we'll kind of deal with those as well. But um, I think that's it, Andrew, right? Anything yeah, all good. Yeah, good. Uh, hopefully you'll be back in the studio next week, uh, Amit, so you won't give me such a grilling. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I hope so. Um, but yeah, guys, also, don't, yeah, don't, don't forget, like, um, if you do miss the show, um, 
that's Michael saying even seven o'clock is early. We appreciate you being here, Michael. Um, but you know, I think I think what we um, what we have is is a bit of a challenge in terms of um, you know obviously getting everyone in one place. So if you do miss a show, catch us on a podcast. I mean, that's that's always kind of available. And and um, and yeah, just send us any kind of feedback or any information that you you want us to kind of talk about. Thanks. Yeah, excellent. Good stuff. Thanks, Amit. Have a good week, everyone. We'll catch you next week. Thanks.